Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. On this week's episode, we are talking to Rolf Sork, founder and CEO at PM International. Thierry, what can you tell us about our conversation with Rolf? Well, Rolf is a very inspiring business leader, starting from very humble beginnings in Germany. While studying at university, he quickly saw an opportunity to earn extra cash in the direct selling space. In 1993, he founded the family business, now called PM International. Today, his company has become a global multi-billion dollar revenue company in direct selling and has expanded to over 40 countries worldwide. And all this whilst operating from the headquarters based in Luxembourg. But what exactly is PM International specialized in? Most people will know the flagship brand Fitline, which is a well-known suite of nutritional supplement products. In terms of distribution model, PM International predominantly relies on a deep network of independent retail sales agents who want to earn extra cash or even establish a fully-fledged full-time business. Adrian, can you briefly tell our listeners to what extent Luxembourg has contributed to the success of PM International? This is another concrete example where Luxembourg's deep international experience has played a key role in supporting a growing family business. For instance, the local knowledge of and access to a multicultural ecosystem has allowed Rolf's company to successfully acquire a bigger market share globally. Even if PM International are not manufacturing their products in Luxembourg, the company has been involved in multiple projects with Luxembourg-based research institutions to enhance and further develop their product line. But now, without further ado, please enjoy our fascinating conversation with Rolf Sorg, founder and CEO at PM International. Rolf, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to have you on. So we've got a very established tradition here on the Luxembourg podcast. We'd love to know who we're talking to. And uh, so in that sense, uh, in your own words, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Rolf Sorg. I'm the founder and CEO of PM International. I founded my company in 1993. And uh, I'm born in uh, Germany, moved 1998 to Luxembourg and became a Luxembourgian citizen in 2009. I'm married with two kids. And uh, was there a particular reason why you decided to go into a career path, uh, especially entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think uh, we could say maybe it's a little bit in my genes. Um, or let's say I grew up in an environment of entrepreneurs. My uh, grandfather, that was a place where I, where I lived and where I grew up as a child, he was an entrepreneur. Um, he had a cannery and so we were... Uh, basically growing up in the whole environment of the cannery where they put pickles and cucumbers and cans. And, uh, you know, as a child, you all even don't know the difference between playing and working. So uh, we helped the workers sometimes when we were children. For us, uh, there was not really a difference, but I've been in that environment all the time. And my father himself was an entrepreneur too. He had a company that was constructing conveyor belts where you dig out, uh, where you transport the sand that's digged out of these man-made lakes to use later for construction. So uh, I think that had, that had an influence and there was plans in my family to um, 
said I step in the footprints of uh, my grandfather, my father. So first my grandfather approached me, he wanted me uh, to take over the cannery. When he <laughs> told me that I need to go uh, to Flensburg to study there, it felt a little bit like the end of the world to me in that age. Uh, our experience is all flat and there's only cows. And so I was not totally amused. And then my father immediately showed up and he was uh, asking me if I would be interested to take over his business uh, with the conveyor belts because he also needed to know how he plans his future. Um, and yeah, that was a regional plan. So um, the next step was that uh, I became a car mechanic for a clear reason. Uh, he wanted me to have this practical experience. And so he said, it would be good if you do an apprenticeship as a mechanic. If you're born and grown up in Germany, I mean, <laughs> cars are at that time was the middle of my interest. So I always liked the Audi Quattro. So I ended up being an apprenticeship with Audi VW. And uh, after the apprenticeship, I went to Kaiserslautern, what's not so far from here, uh, to study economics and engineering. And at that point of time, I was desperately looking for a part-time job because on the apprenticeship as a car mechanic, I stopped, stopped work, didn't stop working in the evening. I repaired still cars for family and friends, and I had always money in my pocket. But at the moment I need to go to the university, I had a total drop in lifestyle because my parents needed to pay for that. Since I moved to Kaiserslautern, there was no way I could do what I did before. And so uh, that's how I ended up becoming a distributor in the direct sales industry, looking for a risk-free part-time opportunity to make another 250 euro. Or at that point of time, I would look, look for 500 marks, what basically translate to 250 euro today. Uh, just to improve, to get a better lifestyle back to me again. But moving forward to your actual experience today, so you launched um, PM International back in 1993, I believe, and it has slowly but surely moved up the ladder and, and turned into a multi-billion dollar. So I think congratulations on this one, because I believe you recently hit the charts of the top 10 direct selling businesses worldwide, which is an extremely impressive achievement. But yet, many people, I mean, your product is known, but few people might not be um, familiar with it. So in your own words, actually, how would you describe the whole genesis of starting out with PM International? What's actually led you to, to what you're today? So we started a kind of silently, you can say, or <laughs> basically we started very small because when I started PM International and founded it in 1993, we were just five people and uh, doing the whole job from everything, from finding the first distributors and getting the first salespeople involved to uh, run the whole operation logistically and even the financials, everything that's needed um, with a super small crew because it was a startup. I mean, um, to go one step back, I mean, from the starting uh, when I've been at the university as a student looking for that part-time job, ending up in direct sales, I got so excited about this opportunity of a risk-free opportunity by flexible investment of time to to get paid by performance what basically happens in direct sales uh, you decide yourself how far you go i got excited about all of it and since i was very ambitious i had my first career as a distributor and became the number one distributor in this direct german direct sales company but finally the company couldn't keep up with what we did as uh, uh, in the sales they made management mistakes ran out of business so in 1993, I needed to decide what I do with the rest of my life and uh, invested everything I had 
took the full risk because I wanted to give an opportunity to the people that uh, I got in my team that helped me to get where I've been to that financial stage at that point of time and just to give back what the opportunity was that was given to me to the next generation. So if I look at that today, I mean, we're not talking one generation. In between, we're talking three generations. I mean, we're talking about 28 years later today. But um, what was the reason? I mean, we talked about the reason why I started it. I wanted to give back what this uh, opportunity has given me. And I still are as much in love with the direct sales opportunity as was on the first day. I'm a strong believer in it. But when I look at the reasons what made us successful, it was a clear niche approach from the first moment on. I said, okay, we're in Germany. Direct sales is an opportunity. What I've seen with uh, companies that are already in the market, like Tupperware, where you can really take premium products in the market, it's really great for that, especially if you have products that need to be explained and they're not selling automatically through a shelf. And uh, I found this niche for with nutrition supplementation to support a healthy lifestyle. And um, I said, okay, a blue market, a blue ocean opportunity, let's jump on it. And then we need to put more effort in that as anybody else to get our market share. And uh, so basically another clear thing was consistency, focus, and working your butt off. Out of curiosity, um, going back all those years uh, when you started uh, with direct sales, what were your first products that you sold? The first products were the products that I bought from the uh, lawyer who was in charge of the bankruptcy of the company I worked before. So it was the easiest start. He approached me originally because he found out that about 50% of the wholesales were created um, from my team. And so he was sitting on that because that company was out of business. And so he approached me and asked me if I would be willing to sell that rest of the stock. And so uh, that's what I did. I bought it because I needed to, to, to get over that time. And that was cosmetic products. So that was my first step. And as you mentioned as well uh, before, and in, you know, in, in, the, in our research, uh, when I spoke to Adrian, I said to him, look, um, Tupperware, and you mentioned Tupperware just now. I am curious to know why... Uh, you continue with the direct sales approach while someone like uh, whoever founded the Tupperware line, they then went uh, to the retail market. Is that something that is very different to, to your approach? Because they've been selling their products uh, with direct sales for many years as well before they went into retail. So that's a great question. I mean, I cannot look into their head, but I know what's different between them and us. So we're a family business. I'm still the owner, as you know, and uh, that's driven by principles and by a clear vision and a clear focus. Um, Tupperware today is an e-corporation and it's run by a management. So I started from scratch and I'm dreaming by that passion that I know what the direct sales opportunity has to offer. So... Uh, their decisions may be made on quarterly uh, performance and on quarterly outcome, what's definitely not happening here. Uh, we're talking about a company for generations, and I still see this opportunity. By the way, none of these direct sales companies that try to take the step doing multi-channel business because that's basically what they're doing. They didn't go away from uh, direct sales. They just opened the retail channel as an additional channel. They create basically a competition to their own distributors and uh, companies in the past that tried that all fail. And the performance of Tupperware, by the way, is not the greatest right now, as we know. 
Well, yeah, mainly because also uh, people are consuming less plastic nowadays and Tupperware, as far as I know, is made out of plastic. That's absolute good point here. <laughs> absolute right. It's also a question uh, of uh, the demand today. So, I mean, it, it's clear. I mean, when you have a company, you cannot always sell the same without growing with your business and adapting to the circumstances. Uh, so what we permanently do, I mean, part of our strategy is to be the tippet of the era of innovation. So we're definitely working on a daily basis outside of our comfort zones to make the products that we have today to working already on the next generation and making them better and looking what's needed in the future, not just for the next couple of days, but rolling out our plan for the next 20 years and looking further. For you to grow the business as you've grown it so far uh, over the years, you've relied on a, on a deep network of direct salespeople and partners, right? And this has all been underpinned by your vision, by the corporate structure, by the fact that it's all privately owned. But also you have to rely on very competent salespeople doing that for you to preserve the revenue, right? So according to your definition, what is the ideal, what is the most a success, this definition of a successful partner with international or PM International, sorry? Basically, people grow organically into leadership positions uh, in our business. And uh, so it, it takes a couple of things to be successful. It needs to be what we already shared. You need to be focused, uh, but you need to also be teachable. You need to be willing to work. And I mean, to become a leader and to build a big network, it's uh, like going for the Olympics. So it's not like everybody's doing that. And, and, and we have also to understand that the direct sales company, as big as it is, the majority of uh, our distributors are looking for a part, for a part-time opportunity and typically own a, uh, earn or uh, looking for earnings like I did. Yeah, Today you would say what was 500 marks at my time today would be translated to 500 euros. And that's the opportunity we're giving as a main opportunity and as an outcome, I have to say also, if you look in the structure of the people we have, um, there is definitely more women than men involved. So we have about 70% of our distributors are women. And I think uh, it's as, even we have emancipation. Yeah? There is still a heavier load of men fully working as a woman today worldwide. And uh, for for. Many women, it's a, it's a part of freedom they generate through that because it's a the money they earn for themselves. Uh, so that's not part of the household. So it's just their luxury they're gaining. And that 500 euros make a difference or 800, 1,000. Do you have an example to walk us through, like a top salesperson within your organization or part of the network that you're very proud of? <laughs> I'm proud of all of them, I have to say, because everybody is taking his share. Basically, the outcome of the success we have today is a team effort. And you have to see it's like a puzzle. I mean, all the puzzles, the little puzzle pieces together makes a picture. And so everybody is important. And I would not only see look at the salespeople, we also need to look at our corporate team that we have. We have super people that are working here uh, in the corporate environment without all our employees all over the world. I mean, you can say extraordinary efforts bring extraordinary results. And we have just great people doing a great job. As someone who has worked in, in sales as myself for nearly 10, 12 years, I always liked the idea of, you know, putting the legwork in and getting rewarded for it. And of course, an increase uh, your, 
you know, your availability to buy things or, or to have a better lifestyle. But one particular thing I, I want to uh, bring up is that the PM International operating uh, model, is it comparable to a multi-level marketing business or as many people will call it MLM? And, and if so, how do you mitigate the risk of being compared to rogue MLM businesses that you can come across, especially in today's world, uh, where a lot of selling and marketing is uh, conducted via online? Yeah, I fully understand your question. There's still a lot of confusion out there, um, basically caused by uh, companies that are trying to uh, look like a direct sales company and uh, so that's a typical thing Ponzi schemes do and so that's confusing people but I think it's very easy to understand if you know um, what a serious direct sales company is built on and there was uh, basically a company that uh, that, that basically sets a, sets a legal base for, for uh, network marketing direct sales companies in 1979 uh, was a court case a court ruling that uh, Mway went through, and as an outcome of that, direct sales became uh, socially accepted and legally approved. And there was three golden rules. I think that's to look at it that were given where uh, you, you can identify uh, a, a serious direct sales company. So 70% of the products have to be for sale. Um, so retail is a base of the business. No bonus for signing in people, you know, so typical headhunting fees, that's absolutely not allowed. And that's, I think it's, it's one of the easiest to see things. If you see it's about getting people into the system and you're paid for bringing people, that's just a, a total no-go. And uh, you need to have a fixed retail price. So the first uh, companies in the 60s, they didn't have a fixed retail price or so distributor bought and bought, sold it for more money to the next one. <laughs> and at the end, somebody couldn't sell it anymore. That's all over. I mean, that's clear. And uh, what Mway did in uh, 79, that's basically what we did here in Europe, in uh, the year 2011, we got a high court decision in Frankfurt um, as the first direct sales company here in Europe for a legal approval for our comp plan. And uh, so I think, and I feel I maybe a point that's important here because Europe looks a little different as it as America. Say we're also focusing very strongly on the customer side, where they say, where is the safety for the customer? And uh, for them, it was very important to see that we have a customer satisfaction with our product and we have a customer satisfaction guarantee, what means a money back guarantee, what's also for our distributors. So if somebody's really buying a product and he's not happy with it, he gives it back, gets 100% of the money back. And I went even a step further on the customer side to prove our premium approach. So I said, okay, we give 110%. So if somebody gives a product back, he receives basically more money as uh, what he paid when he bought it. And we're living it. Yeah, so the, the, the difference is A, the, the court ruling, but at the same time, your overall approach to you are selling a product through a independent, we can call it salesperson or an independent distributor who gets rewarded with a, a fee, a commission, a share of the pie of the products uh, they sell, while MLM is a mainly sign up more people, mainly friends and family, because at some point you're going to run out of it, 
uh, it's a ripple effect and you might get something if you bring them on and then they sell other products or services, but you're not really contributing and selling a workable product. It's just on on selling your time and network. That will be overall then the, the main difference, if I understand that correctly. Yes, that's a very valuable point you brought here to the table and uh, I 100% agree with that. Um, it's really the product is a base and the customer satisfaction is a trigger. You need to have satisfied customers, then you have a real deal, you have a real product and the business is built on retail and there is a retail income for the people selling their products. And sure, so um, say if they get their business bigger, there's also a wholesale income that's created through their teams they're building up. Talk about again about selling. So, you know, with the pandemic, with the rise of e-commerce, all the online shopping going on. So there's been opportunities and challenges coming up in, in this space and, and in your space as well. But I'm most interested in understanding, you know, your strategic plans to continue your, you know, the growth of your direct sales business uh, with your partners using all those, those tools like I was just mentioning, the online business or the online methods. Yes, it's, uh, it was really a challenging time for us. I mean, nobody expected what, what happened last year when we went into the first lockdowns. And the typical model of a direct sales company is that the distributor buys products that he passes on to his customer. And typically, the old way was to do that physically. I mean, to give it directly to them and even to collect the money. So uh, luckily, we had already a solution um, in PM International, what was uh, the opportunities that a customer direct program, we name it, where we take that part over of the logistics. So our distributors have a replicatable web page with their own shop on it, where they can put the order of the customer in and uh, we take care of the delivery. So as today's online businesses do it, like the Alibabas and the Amazons, and I think that's also where the future will be for the for the direct sales world, where we have to look where that way goes. That you take the competence of our distributor who is doing the talk, who demonstrates the product, who introduces the opportunity, and it's a, and, and and the next step, you take the risk off his shoulders for delivery. Let him do what he's most efficient about. And so we took some very fast steps last year because. We really need to step up to that. So uh, one thing we did, and, and luckily, I mean, that's the advantage of being a family-run business, that we can take quick decisions. Um, and so we decided that we do free shipping for customers, what was not happening before. And it's, I mean, that's basically also a clear, strong investment from the side of the company uh, that needs to be taken to make that happen. And, and so we did it, and it really helped us that we get that, great outcome of last year where other companies really suffered. Um, another one was uh, uh, direct cash. So um, we implemented a part on top of that, that the distributors, when they take the order, at the moment the order is in the system, we already pay them um, their, their uh, retail profit so that they don't need to wait like it was in the old times, uh, maybe another four weeks before the bonuses are paid out. And so uh, we, we looked basically on the example of Uber or showed us uh, when, because there it's exactly the same. I mean, when you book an Uber, private people can take you to the place and at the moment the customer pays, some money is also cashed in your e-wallet. And so I think that's a little bit what paves the way 
what shows where that industry will go in the future. Uh, a real riskless opportunity where you can even work from home, you can do the business even online, you can do your demonstration with Zoom conferences, and uh, then whenever you get the orders, you get also paid for, for, for your retail profit you're getting out of it instantly. And I think that the, we see it's a young generation really takes that on very strongly. And as our podcast uh, is mainly focusing, of course, on businesses in Luxembourg, and we promote actively promoting uh, nation branding for Luxembourg, why is it important to have your international headquarters in Luxembourg compared to Germany, for instance? Uh, yeah, maybe you don't know it, but I, I tell you now, I started my business in Germany and we were quite successful expanding through Europe. But at the moment we wanted to reach out to other continents, we struggled, seriously. And, I, and, 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 and you know, if things don't work as they do, the best way is not point on others, look on yourself and look in the mirror. And I've seen that we're way too German trying to do these things. It started easily with... What I said, okay, to be international, we need English literature, we need English material, we need in English web page, and everything I got in my hands was German. So, I mean, it was struggling always with the language, all first. So, I, I said, okay, if, if we want to be a global player, we need to be international. So, we need to work out of an international place. Uh, we, we needed to, to, to uh, turn the switch here. And uh, looking from Germany in the world, what's the next place around the corner? Definitely Luxembourg. I mean, Luxembourg, you have 600,000 people population, 600 plus thousand now. But you're, you also have 170 nationalities. I mean, it's so different. I mean, when you walk into our office, you will see in the lunch break, in the cafeteria, uh, you have here so many different languages. I mean, as we cover here almost 40 languages with 90 people working with us. And uh, that's, you're in the middle of it. And uh, when you look from Luxembourg to the world, then you have that global approach. You start thinking first moment, okay, how do we need to do that worldwide? How can we break that down to the continents? And then you go to the countries. So it was not just moving to Luxembourg, it would bringing a whole headquarter concept in place. So, so I changed basically everything. Before we were running everything from Germany to the world. Now we have headquarters in the continents that are in charge of the continent itself. And for international decisions, that's Luxembourg for the global approach. And uh, that works perfectly fine. Yeah, so it made such a difference. And I mean, so you can really see it in the expansion. I mean, last year we were named, uh, we got just a couple of weeks before recognized as the fastest growing uh, direct sales company worldwide. I mean, that's an outcome of that uh, uh, impact that it has to go to the headquarter concept and to have the international headquarter here. And I mean, I love it when I come in here and I have this multicultural approach, even with my corporate team, uh, where I see, okay, we're really international and that's the best place. I mean, you know how multicultural Luxembourg is. There's another question actually that's really intriguing me because I understand your products are all made in Germany, right? Yep. So in that sense, we've had, a, so to put more context to my question, mm -hmm. we've had a lot of um, guests on the show talking about the, the significance of having a Made in Luxembourg label. So my question to you is, would that make any difference to you if you started producing your uh, nutritional supplements or anything that's pertaining to Fitline in Luxembourg, or at least part of it, to contribute to uh, the Luxembourg nation branding or anything that the, the country has to offer? 
Okay, that's, uh, that's another very good question uh, to give you the truthful answer to that. Uh, yes, it would make a difference, but the biggest point is we don't have the manufacturers here in, in Luxembourg that could do it. That was a very short answer and probably the right one because that is where uh, Luxembourg is probably struggling in a way. Uh, when we spoke to a few other CEOs, especially in the manufacturing uh, business, they always said everything Luxembourg does is great, but we don't have enough, maybe not the capacity, the land mass, but we definitely don't have enough uh, manufacturers uh, in the country. But what about then if we will switch the question slightly and say, how important is it to you that the products are made in Europe compared making the products in China or anywhere else uh, in the world? Yes, that's super important. I mean, made in Germany is a brand and it's a premium brand. And since my, my whole idea was to introduce premium products, so that branding fits perfectly to what we do. And it's a great place to create premium products. So um, it's super important and it's important for us, the customer, and it makes really a big, big difference. And I mean, uh, we live it authentically. So if everything is made in, in Germany predominantly, I understand you've had a lot of uh, partnerships with uh, the list in Luxembourg, so the Luxembourg Institute for Science and Technology, if I'm not mistaken. So um, in that sense, it feels like the research, a lot of research happening in, in Schengen, so where your company is based or in, in Luxembourg in general, but the production happens elsewhere. So to what extent has the Luxembourg research ecosystem contributed to the, those efforts and if you've got any interesting projects in the pipeline that could that you could give away uh in that sense that will be like you know generated from luxembourg for instance yeah so talking about the value here in luxembourg there's a great value for us and uh the cooperation with the luxembourg institute of science and technology we even moved in their labs by the way we have uh we have labs that we joint labs where we are together and we have our own labs for our own R&D we are doing. So we have several projects running at the same time. One of these projects is an outcome of me looking out of the window. When you're in Schengen and you look out of the window of our building, one direction you see some walls, the other direction you look clearly into the vineyards. And uh, one of the um, ingredients we are using is polyphenols and uh, you will find them in the grape seeds and in the grape extract and the grape skin and so when i looked out of it i, I said okay why uh, or, or can we not look for for the point of sustainability is that we can prove even more sustainability in our product and also i questioned my very good friend from the vineyard just behind and, and he's quite famous here in luxembourg too henri rupert uh, asked him, what, what are you doing with the grape seeds and with the grape skin? And he said, oh, okay, we throw it back to the ground. And uh, I said, okay, in other countries, they're making crop out of it and make it a brand. So, but Luxembourg is a small country. So um, there, is, there is no bigger values that can be generated right now. And I was thinking, okay, let's uh, see if we find special grapes and we find a high value of polyphenols in it because we're using them already in our product so we can maybe get a real win as an outcome of that if we are successful um, that we can buy the grape seeds and the grape skins from the uh, from the vineyards here and 
then make it part of our product. And so uh, that basically became a project in the list. We were successful. We identified three different grapes that are massively existing here in Luxembourg with an extreme high value for us. And we are in process to uh, get that now um, to, to the base that is a, that it becomes powder. We need uh, ingredients now broken down to the way we can use it in our products. And then we would be capable to even take all of the grape harvest of Luxembourg with our demand we have. And as I uh, mentioned before, you know, we, we talk always a little bit uh, on promoting Luxembourg. And for someone who started out in Germany, expanded its global business uh, over the years in Luxembourg, what are the most important uh, aspects of Luxembourg to you and and on a personal, but also on a pro professional level, what do you like the most about Luxembourg? Okay, so there is uh, there is a lot of things. I mean, you can look from a private uh, viewpoint to it. So I like very much that our son is born here in Luxembourg and grown up in Luxembourg because you have a great school system here. It's a very safe place to live. That's another one. It has a very good image for international business in the world. Um, I love to see that my son is talking four languages. I mean, when I started my business, I spoke German. That's it. I mean, even if I learned in school English, there was no way I could practice that. So I lost it. Like French, uh, here with his friends, he's talking on a daily basis with all of his friends, English, French, Luxembourgish, German. I mean, because there are just, I, it started in kindergarten. I mean, uh, the first thing I learned that I needed to learn a Luxembourgish in kindergarten. I wondered why they learn a language in kindergarten. And uh, I found out there was children speaking seven different languages and uh, people in charge of them in the kindergartens. They just need to get one common, find one common ground, so one language to communicate with all of them. And uh, that's a big upside, I see. He, he just told me a couple of weeks ago that he's now ready for his fifth language, what is interestingly Mandarin. Uh, he's looking completely different to the work, and I think that's so advanced, and that's something you, you really experience here in these countries. So this international tea. Yeah, um, from the business point again, I mean, uh, Luxembourg has done a great job on double taxation. So there's 70 countries already where double taxation contracts is existing. That's for a company with a goal of becoming a global player. It's a very important point. And if you look uh, for our employees, uh, it's really social and politically stable. You have a modern infrastructure. You have a great health system. Um, there is great family support and childcare. I mean, that's outstanding. If you look over the border uh, to Germany, that's like two worlds. Uh, you have a great living standard. You have a great education. Okay, housing is a little bit expensive. <laughs> Well, on that note, Rolf, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It was a really enriching conversation for us. We certainly hope to get you back on the show in the near future. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Mm -hmm.